John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were, able to, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come here and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had reve was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than, more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now that you are old, you will, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. After, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of our Lord. Well, good morning. Over the season of Easter, we're going to be looking at appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples. John Sweet uh, had us look at uh, Jesus' interaction with Thomas last week, and today we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with Peter and the hope of restoration. So let me pray for us as we do. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who restores. And so we ask that as we turn to 
your word that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, that we might see Jesus and his goodness and glory to us. For his sake we pray. Amen. Restoration. Restoration is a need that all of us have. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life or if you're someone that is exploring the reality of the Christian faith, restoration is what we need. It doesn't matter if you're young and you've done something dumb or you're old and you've done something dumb. We all need restoration. To be human is to be in need of restoration because all of us are fallen creatures. All of us do things to break relationship, and we need to be restored in our relationships. Some of us know this pretty acutely. Some of us know that we need to be restored to our parents. Some of us have been harboring bitterness, hiding sins, refusing to seek restoration from our parents for some time. It may be young children in the home, or it may be older children even out of the home. But the parent-child relationship is one where there is constant need of restoration. We're in need of this in our marriages. Because of sin, we experience hurt and pain and distance and frustration in our most intimate relationship. We often hide our sins and uh, refuse to truly confess and repent of them. For any of us who have been married for more than five minutes, we know that we need restoration in our marriages. Uh, we're in need of restoration with friends, uh, with classmates, with roommates, with coworkers. We know that there are things that divide us, and we need to have conversations that seek out restoration. And then we're in need of restoration in the wider world. Uh, some of us look out of the world and see the brokenness, see the pain, see what people do to hurt each other and cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And we can think back of terrorist attacks that happened in our world just a couple weeks ago. And we can say that we know that we live in a world that needs restoration. We need restoration with God. We need restoration with others. We need restoration with our own selves and we need restoration with the wider world. And so the question that is before us this morning is, in light of all the brokenness, uh, in light of all the pain, in light of all the division that we see in our own lives and in our wider world, is there hope for restoration? Is restoration a possibility? Or is it just an illusion? Is restoration something that we can begin to experience in small but real ways in our lives? And the answer of the Bible is an overwhelming yes. Christianity teaches that restoration is not just a hope, but it is a reality. It is something that is attainable for us in small but real ways here and now. And this passage that we've read together this morning gives a, us a beautiful picture of gospel restoration. It gives us a picture of what the risen Christ is all about in his world, to restore a world back to himself, to restore his people back to himself. And the good news of the gospel is that God is uniting all things in Christ. 
things that have been broken, things that have been divided, things that are in need of restoration, God through Christ is restoring everything in Jesus. And we see this beautifully in this passage when Jesus restores Peter. And so I want us to look together this morning at a few aspects of how Jesus restores Peter in his need for restoration and how we might apply that to our own individual lives and our collective lives as a community. So we're going to look at a handful of things that we learn together from this passage. First, I want us to see that the church pursues restoration in the hope of the resurrection, that that is the ground for our restoration. It's only because of the resurrection that you and I, as the people of God, can pursue restoration. Christianity offers hope for restoration, says that restoration is a reality only because of Jesus and his resurrection. Without the resurrection, there would be no hope for restoration. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't have John 21 and Jesus restoring Peter to himself. And so notice in our text that our text gives a lot of historical detail. And that historical detail is contained in the text to help us to understand that these weren't events that the disciples were making up, but this really happened this way on this early morning when the disciples were out fishing. This wasn't a made-up story. This type of detail is unique in ancient style for its writing style, this type of historical detail. Look at some of the details that are included. We have Peter putting on his outer garment to go swimming. That's strange. Why would somebody get dressed to go swimming and jump in the water? The reason that John remembers the oddness of Peter getting dressed to go swimming is that, strangely, that's what Peter did. He was dressed for work in some lighter clothes, and he decided to go meet his Lord. He was going to put on more clothes and swim to the shore. Peter puts on more to swim. That's strange, but we're going to want to keep that in mind as well. John tells us that the boat was about 100 yards offshore because John remembers that detail. If he were making up that story, he wouldn't have included this type of detail. John says that they caught 153 fish. And if you read commentators in the Gospel of John, they all try to understand, why would John say that they caught 153 fish? What is this alluding to? And the reality is that that's the number of fish that they caught, and that's the number of fish that they counted. And John remembers this historical detail. John presents this story in great detail because this story really happened on this beach after Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus really met them on the shore and had breakfast with them. And because he did, and because this conversation took place with his disciples and with Peter in particular, restoration is a rhythm, it is a heartbeat, it is a pattern for the Christian life. The resurrected Lord gives to us the hope and the reality of restoration. Friends, without the resurrection, we should not be talking about restoration. But because of the resurrection, what happened to Peter can happen to us as well 
today. Second, the church pursues restoration as a community of humble learners. The church pursues restoration as a community of humble learners. We see this in our text when these professional fishermen go back and try to fish again. When Jesus tells them, hey, go cast your net on the other side. The disciples have had nights like these before. They've spent countless nights fishing, and they've probably had a number of nights where they just didn't catch anything. And they could have easily said, you know what, sometimes we have nights where we strike out. Sometimes we just don't catch anything. But they listen from the shore, and they do what they're commanded to do. And one of the marks of the church, in order to be a community of restoration, is that we need to be a humble community. We need to be humble enough to listen, humble enough to learn, humble enough to be corrected by our Lord. We shouldn't be a community that says to ourselves and to our neighbors, as it were, listen, we're in Austin. We have planted grace and peace in Austin because we know exactly what it is we're doing, because we're doing it right, because we've got the Christian life down, because we know how to pursue Jesus wisely and perfectly and well. We don't say that to ourselves. We don't say that to our neighbors. We need to learn what it means to have life in God renewed daily. We need new and fresh ways to pursue the grace that we've received. So a church is always a church of humble learners, always asking God, how can we do better? How can we grow? How can we seek to embody the grace that you've given to us in new and fresh ways for the people that make up this community and for those that don't yet call this community home? And the only way we're going to do that is if we learn how to be humble learners. Just like these disciples said, all right, Lord, we'll listen to you, and we'll throw the net on the other side. So the church pursues restoration because of the resurrection. The church pursues restoration as a community of humble learners. Third, the church pursues restoration through normal discipleship. We see this in our text in some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Come, eat, breakfast. Come eat breakfast. And at that breakfast, Jesus has a transformative conversation with these disciples, and he restores them to himself, and he empowers them for the mission that he's going to send them on in the world. And discipleship happens oftentimes over mundane things like eating breakfast and mundane conversations like gathering together as friends. And so be a community of normal discipleship. How does that happen? Well, first and foremost, it happens in gathered worship. Week in and week out, we come to receive God's life for us. We come to share in his life for us. We come to feast upon him at the table. We come to receive his word, read, sung, and preached, and then we eat with him at his table. We come to do these mundane things week after week after week in order to be restored to God. And then we're sent out from this place 
to embody the grace that we've received here in settings outside of gathered worship, in our homes, through parish groups, in going on walks together, in playing in the park together, in working together, in exercising together, in having coffees and lunches together. It's often in the day-to-day mundane activities and conversations that the resurrected Christ appears among us to restore us, to empower us for mission. Growing to become more like Jesus doesn't require us to do extraordinary things. Growing to become like Jesus requires us to do ordinary things with great intentionality, with joy, with gratitude, with a sense that as we share meals together, as we share conversations together, that the risen Christ is in our midst to do a work among us. And so we pursue restoration through the mundane things of life. Fourth, we pursue restoration through sacramental grace. We pursue restoration through sacramental grace. Notice what happens. When the risen Christ appears to his disciples, he just doesn't teach them and say, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to apprehend in your minds. This is the truth. This is the doctrine. This is a proposition that you have to get if you're going to be my disciples in the world. He does that, but he does so much more than that. He feeds them. He nourishes them. He gives them a meal. He cooks them breakfast. He strengthens them for the mission and the task that he's going to give to them and send them out into the world. And friends, that's what happens every week when we gather together in the name of the risen Christ, that he's not just among us to teach us certain things through singing, through prayers, through updates, through preaching. But he's among us to feed us. And one of the reasons why we end each and every worship service with communion is both to remind us and to embody the life that we receive through Jesus to say we need him to feed us once again. Just as he fed these disciples on the beach that morning, We need Jesus to feed us. We come to the table as those who are weak. We come to the table as those who are limping. We come to the table as those who need grace. And we say, it's only at this table, Lord, where we receive the nourishment and the sustenance and the strength to go out into your world and to live the lives that you want us to live. We come to this table saying, Lord, we need more of you. Give us more of you at your table. And amazingly, week after week after week, the risen Christ says to us, as it were, I am here for you. I am the bread of life. I have given myself for you I desire you to be my people. I've lived for you. I've died for you. I've been raised again for you. Your life is to be found in me. 
And friends, that's really the good news of the gospel, is that God loves us. God desires us. God is longing to be in relationship with us. And he gives us all the grace that we need, all the gifts that we need to be in relationship with him. And week after week after week, those who have faith in Jesus come to the table and say, Lord, you are the bread of life. Lord, I come weak. Lord, I come needy. Lord, I come needing your grace. I come needing the gift of your table. And I need you to help me to live for you this week. And so one of the reasons why we have communion every week is that we don't just need to hear about Jesus. We need to see Jesus. We need to taste and see that Jesus is good. We need to taste and see that his life is among us. We need to taste and see that Jesus still feeds his disciples and nourishes them and strengthens them just like he did these early followers. So the church pursues restoration through the hope of the resurrection. The church pursues restoration as a community of humble learners. It pursues restoration through normal discipleship and through sacramental grace. And then fifth, it pursues restoration by making love the priority. Why do we gather each and every week in Jesus' name? It's because what we sung about at the end, uh, his name alone is love. Love is a priority. Love is what defines being a follower of Jesus. And we see this when Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And the reason why Jesus has asked Peter three times, do you love me, is because just a few days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus three times, saying, even if everybody else falls away, I'll never fall away. But Peter did fall away. He fell away the furthest. He fell away the hardest. And now in front of all of his brothers, Jesus graciously and tenderly restores Peter. And notice that Jesus doesn't ask Peter, do you believe in me? Do you affirm certain things about me? Can you state a proposition concerning the reality of my resurrection? Rather, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Jesus puts the emphasis on love and says, Peter, the way that you are going to show your love for me is by loving my sheep, by feeding and caring and tending to my flock in the world. And friends, as we think about what God is doing in our community, about how God is at work through grace and peace, about how the risen Christ continues to show up, to nourish us and to feed us, remember that the most important thing is that we become a community of love. We're all excited about our new pastor coming. We're all excited about the sweets coming to lead us in the next phase of our life together. And we've got dreams and plans and hopes about what God might do through this community under their leadership. And that's good and that's beautiful and that's wise. But remember, the thing that defines the people of God is love for the risen Christ and love for the sheep of Christ. So above everything else, put on love. Make love the priority. 
Love the risen Christ by loving each other well. Put on love. Be a community of love, a community that receives the deep love of God for you and then turns around and shares that love for others in his name. Six, I think final, the church is to pursue restoration by following the risen Christ wherever he leads. The church pursues restoration by following the risen Christ wherever he leads. Our text tells us that these disciples that have been following Jesus over the three years of his public ministry have returned to what they know. They've gone back to their vocations and their professions to how they know to provide for themselves and for their households. They've gone back fishing. They've returned to a life of the sea. And what John is saying as they uh, return to being fishermen is that Peter and these other disciples have assumed that their life as disciples of Jesus, their life of fishing for men is over. It's done. It's gone. They're just going to be out in the sea. But Jesus hadn't called them ever just to fish for fish. Jesus had called them from the very beginning to fish for men, to be those who would lead his mission in the world and announce the good news of his kingdom and of his resurrection. The purpose for their lives hadn't changed, even though they had fallen away from their Lord, even though they had denied their Lord, even though they had all scattered in the fear of his death. Even though they had left Jesus, Jesus would not leave them. He would restore them. He would use them to be heralds of his grace. And he calls them back to the purpose for which he originally called them, to fish for men, to love and care and feed for his sheep, to be devoted to Christ's kingdom, to be faithful shepherds under him, to live sacrificially for him, even to the point of dying for him. And friends, as a church, we follow the risen Christ wherever he leads us. Sometimes, like Peter, it's in preparation for a very difficult path. Sometimes his ways are deep and dark and mysterious. But we're to follow him there. We're to seek him there. We're to search for him there because he will be with us in our going. And he will use us in our seeking to follow him wherever he leads us. Sometimes the risen Christ will send us out into the dark. And sometimes we'll have to fight and struggle and strive against injustice and oppression and racism and violence. This past weekend, I was privileged to host a retreat for the ministry I lead, Vita House. And we had all of our students together, and we brought in a pastor from Washington, D.C., an African-American pastor who is uh, leading the charge in our denomination in many ways to help cast a beautiful vision for what it means to be cross-cultural missionaries, for what it means to build relationships and communities that we uh, have largely ignored. And he cast before us this beautiful vision that the risen Christ is among us, to send us out into his world, even into places where we don't necessarily want to go or we don't know the way. But he is with us to use us and to restore us 
and to bring people together in his name, to become a community of love in and for our world. And so as we close, remember that you as a church are called to be a community that pursues restoration, that the work of the risen Christ in your midst is to restore you to himself and to restore you to one another. And that this is to be a place where in small but real ways, we embody the life of Christ in our midst. We embody the reality that the Spirit is at work to unite us to God and to unite us to one another. And so seek to be a community of gospel restoration that's founded on the resurrection, that's seeking to be a community of humble learners, that's being nourished by the risen Christ, and that is following Christ wherever he leads you, and that is gathering week after week after week to come to the table of Christ and be strengthened and nourished and fed by him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word and for your restorative grace. But the same grace that restored Peter back to you and back to his fellow disciples is that grace that restores us to you, to ourselves, to one another, and to the wider world. Lord, as we think about all the ministries of this church, as we've heard about missionary updates, as we've heard about the ways that you're at work in Austin, as we've been invited to participate in thinking about restoration as it relates to deep and mysterious things like trauma. May we keep in mind that the reality of restoration is ours for the people of God because you are the God who restores. And so we ask that even as we now come to the table of grace, that this might be a means to restore us to you and to restore us to one another, and that we might celebrate that the risen Christ is truly in our midst to feed us once again, even as he fed breakfast to his disciples on the beach many, many years ago. We pray in his name. Amen.